Welcome to the Nourish Your Potential podcast. My name is Kushla Holdaway and I'm a registered and accredited sports dietitian based in beautiful New Zealand. I am so glad you have joined me on this podcast where we will discuss science, sports nutrition, running and physiology alongside interviews with athletes, experts and other health professionals. Whether you're listening to this podcast during your commute, your training session or whilst cooking up a storm in the kitchen, you can be reassured information is discussed in a thought-provoking, evidence-based and easy-to-understand manner so that you have more tools in your nutrition toolbox to be your best self. I'm really excited to be joined by Dr. Anna Brooks tonight to talk all things COVID, Omicron, long COVID and athletic performance. She's an expert in the field and spends a lot of her day speaking with internationals all over the world. So Anna, I'd love you to introduce yourself to our listeners. Awesome. Thanks for having me. Yes, so I'm an immunologist at Auckland University and my core research area now is uh, understanding what COVID-19 is, is doing to us, essentially. So the long-term impacts, what we now know as long COVID. So that's my sort of core research area. And what do we know about long COVID so far? Yeah, so we hear about it. We, sometimes it gets framed as being, you know, it's, it's so new, we don't know enough. Um, and there is some of that, but also it very much aligns with um, other post-viral conditions as well. And collectively, still so little is known about post-viral conditions in general as well. You know, it, it's been sort of um, earmarked as one of those conditions that is, um, you know, because it's, so I'm talking about myalgic encephalomyelitis or chronic fatigue syndrome which, you know, we, we, we know exists from getting viral infections or, and other infections as well. Um, so what we now understand is that, you know, COVID-19 is another virus that can cause this. But when you get a pandemic-scale virus, you're going to get a pandemic-scale um, element of post-viral conditions. But it's kind of a little bit worse than that, you know, because, because of the scale, we, we were sort of seeing very early on that 10 to 30% were not recovering. So that's a large percentage of everyone who gets infected. So it was worrying and it took a very, very long time for any, any of the, you know, well, no country officially tracks uh, the prevalence and it took a long time for it to be recognised. So the reason it came through so strongly as um, existing was through patient movements. So they were like, hey, we're not recovered. Stop putting us in the you know, in the, in the recovered numbers, we, we haven't recovered. And it's a full spectrum. It's, it's, it's a real challenge um, because of that. So early on when I started working with uh, those uh, New Zealanders who had long COVID, what we were seeing is, uh, yeah, a full spectrum where some people might, um, uh, you know, take three months and then they come right, six months, nine months, and so at the, at the minimum, and that sort of probably takes out that percent to sort of the 30%, you know, so 30% may struggle for up to a year while you fully recover, whereas we don't know yet what the percent is where you may not recover. And 
that is that is the awareness that we want to put out there that you know that's why we want as few people to contract this virus and to take it seriously and to vaccinate and protect our bodies so that we you know you're not in that category and so yeah so what do we know about it it's so i guess that the different elements if you like of um or well the the elements of, of long COVID that we hear a lot about and on all those symptoms the top one's extreme fatigue the next one which is especially troublesome if you're an athletic person if you you know if if, if fitness is your bread and butter the first thing you can no longer do is exercise you get post-exertional malaise essentially you after exercising you are wiped out and it could take you weeks to recover so that's the classic um sort of um symptom if you like or um of of having um me or me cfs is 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 that post-exertional so physical and it could also be mental so you could just have you know a day where you're engaging a lot with someone and you and you don't recover very well from that so and, and the spectrum's huge you know you can be slightly fatigued or you can be extremely you know it can be really serious and so and i and i see the whole spectrum because yes yeah, some people are extremely sick two years on yeah and do we know for sure if you're in that 10 to 30 percent who end up with long COVID that you definitely will recover or is there a risk you may be with like long COVID for the rest of your life? There is a risk, yes. Mm, far out. And so essentially what we described it as we don't know what the trajectory is. We don't know. We don't know what predisposes you to long COVID. We don't know how to recover from it. We don't have any treatment options and we don't know if it's for life. We will, we'll, I, I guess, we can say it's not for life for everyone, absolutely, because people are recovering, but we don't know what defines whether you will come through that. But what we do know with MECFS is, yeah, it, it is a lifelong condition for a lot of people. Mm-hmm. So, and there are strong relationships between um, MECFS and long COVID. So it may be that uh, COVID-19 causes around about the same amount of MECFS as any other virus, and then there's the everything around the, the periphery. It's still debilitating, right? You might not be able to work for a year or you might have to go part-time or, you know, there's so many debilitating factors involved with having the post-viral condition that we just, yeah, we just don't know enough about yet. And how do vaccines come into that? Like, do vaccines reduce the risk of long COVID? Yeah, so annoying... Omicron just messed everything up. Right? <laughs> we were doing so well here in New Zealand. You know, there we were, you know, Delta was fading away. We were highly vaccinated. And categorically, if you don't get symptoms, you know, let, let's talk about Delta. If you didn't get symptoms from Delta, you're probably not going to get long COVID. So at the very least, what the research showed was that if you um, were vaccinated, your chances of getting long COVID absolutely went down. Yeah, Definitely. The, the blurred lines now is, is you know, Delta is still circulating, so we have to be mindful of that. But I think now they're sort of saying, well, Omicron is going to take over. And we have to be cautious because there is no data. This is the first time that New Zealand is facing a variant sort of early after its discovery. You know, we, we had quite a lead in before we knew how severe Delta was. And bearing in mind... 
The severity of these viruses is always based on how many um, end up in hospital severely ill and, and flood our healthcare system. So there's never been an emphasis on just the, the lingering damage it might do to our bodies. So it's just a word of caution that the narrative is that Omicron is mild because it's not going to kill you. And that doesn't mean it's not going to damage your body. And we have to be continuously mindful of that. So there is no data yet on whether vaccination protects against long COVID because it hasn't been around long enough. But it, it, there's by we, we're still uh, sort of having that general feeling though that because it's generally milder in the in the severity, we hope we, we all we can say is we hope that it's going to reduce the chances of long COVID because. Long COVID has nothing really to do with that um, lung damage and severity that sort of attacks the lungs. It's, it's where does it go in your body? You know, where is it infecting, silently causing damage? Yeah. Mm-hmm. So absolutely vaccination. I mean, the unvaccinated, even Omicron, the, the reason that we heard the mild term, right, was because the world, in, in the areas it was where there was outbreaks happening, we knew that vaccination was preventing that. So the you know, the chances of being hospitalised um, with Omicron is so low. I think, it, is it 95% if, if, you're, if you're boosted from needing to go to hospital versus, uh, you know, like a much higher chance if you're unvaccinated mm. because you've got no protection. It's just less severe as well. And is it correct in saying, like, if you walked into a room with someone with Delta versus Omicron, you're much less likely to catch Delta but obviously it's a more serious strain compared to walking into a room with Omicron where you, you know, much higher risk of catching it, but of course it's much much more mild. Is that yeah, correct? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, if you've got two circulating, you know, it's, you can catch both. Well, that was actually one of the questions from <laughs> Instagram yeah. was, can you catch Omicron and Delta at the same time? Well, there would be no reason why not. I, it's probably more of a low probability. Yeah. Than a, you that in a bad luck scenario to enter a room with two infected at the same time yeah <laughs> and and because of New Zealand's approach right because our delta cases got so low and even you know we will be up there with the only country that has this slow burn as as um, you know as we can stamping down omicron so there's high chance that we'll never get delta coming back you know sort of out competing if you like mm-hmm. um but yeah it, it's, it's obviously something we have to be mindful of when when cases escalate, and also as the as the border restrictions um, come down to, because mm. you know different variants, you know people sort of predict that variants aren't going to stop. Mm. And mm. what do we know from previous data around other um, pandemics? Like, is there a time when COVID will eventually go away, or like you know with I guess, is it the 1920s pandemic and all of those other ones, you know, they've eventually burned out. But will we see the same with COVID? Those are all big questions that no one knows the answers to. Like, I think the biggest argument is that, you know, it'll become endemic. And there's lots of fights when over when someone says it's going to become endemic because what is that, you know, what, endemic meaning... It's going to continually cause us serious disease and therefore we just put up with it. So it is, It is. I, I think predictions are difficult. Mm. We 
do hope, obviously, that this is going to come to an end. And Omicron is a different beast. You know, it, it mutated so dramatically, but, you know, thankfully in a non-severe way, and hopefully that pans out across the board for um, long-term recovery, hopefully. It's just too early. But, you know, if that really does, um, you know, become the dominant strain, we could see an end to it. But most people who talk about, in, you know, a virus is becoming endemic and when's the end, nobody really knows. And I think that's, that's that big challenge around um, the inequities internationally of where vaccination is happening. As long as you've got travel, if you've got travel between um, countries that don't have, uh, you know, good protection measures with uh, vaccinations, then this could just keep going. So it's really difficult. I don't think, you know, I, I couldn't put a prediction on what I think is coming next. I think we just don't know. Just take it day by day. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Like, yeah. That, you know, I think the key thing is there's no going back. Like, we're not going to suddenly return to the, to the 2019. There's no going back. We can learn from this and, um, you know, we can keep adapting. And, 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 and those things are, are good as well. You know, like um, disease control in general is, is only going to be a good thing to, mm. to stop, you know, to prevent disease in general. Mm. So I think it's, it's tough. And I think New Zealand's entering sort of one of the precarious points, right? You know, we're, we're at that point where we're well vaccinated and that's, that's great. But at the same time, are we all okay with, with, with this Omicron spreading. So, yeah, it's mm. difficult. And in terms of protecting ourselves, I mean, obviously vaccinations, but to the people who are really active and sporty and even like elite athletes and those who are really healthy, with a really good immune system or being really fit and healthy, does that reduce the risk of serious infection or the risk of long COVID? In a nutshell, no. There's... There's no, well, there, there's two parts to this. It's not to say that out there among us, someone's got a perfect immune system. No, that, that there's, we don't know what that looks like. We will never know what the perfect immune system looks like because humans have had a ridiculous varied history and in, in, in how their immune system behaves, right? So firstly, you know, Yes, you know, like the person, we know this already from the out, all the outbreaks, right? You know, the people that get it mildly and recover, there's something great about their immune system, right? But we don't know who you are. So you could be an extreme fit athlete and that's your response, or you could be an extreme fit athlete and end up in ICU and die. And so, so that sort of pretense that fit and healthy somehow equals protection to a virus is just, they do not meet they do not meet. And in fact, although there's been no official studies on this, what happened very early in the in early outbreak is there were um, groups, long COVID groups forming of athletes. It, there was this propensity to that people who were athletes were like, oh my goodness, I'm not recovered. So they were finding it really difficult to get back to, to the exercise regimes and continue competing. And so and, you know, and people would argue, is that just because, you know, you're an athlete and therefore you really recognise that you can't get back to your performance? Or was there something else going on, on there? And nobody, nobody's answered that question. And some of the extreme athletes I've spoken to, you know, that are now 
still two years in, long haulers, uh, have never been able to return to, to their normal house. And they would, like when asking one of them, you know, what would you say to the average athlete who gets COVID? And he said, if I could go back, I would take three months off. He said, I know it sounds extreme, but I would go back there and I would take three months off. And so it's kind of like looking for the warning signs. Um, so they describe, he sort of said, um, you know, you might be able to go for a walk or a gentle jog, but if there is any sign that your body needs to recover, listen, because what tends to happen um, is that there's a tipping point that we don't understand. So if you push before your body's recovered, it's, it almost kicks you into long COVID and then there's no return is what it seems like. And so, and so that's, that's that whole pretense that, you know, I look after my body, I eat well, my immune system must be great. We can't say that's true mm -hmm. because we don't know what that looks like. Because remembering athleticism, but we also can't assume that athleticism is perfectly healthy or a, or a, a, a decent state for every single person, right? It, it, it can't be because we're all so different. And so that, I, I you know, like the, the, the classic um, statement of, you know, I eat well and I'm healthy. You know, healthy is not necessarily the same for each person. It, it's what's healthy for you, right? And so you might, and so we hear it all the time. People who are long haulers say, I was fit and healthy before. And that's great because they were, but they ended up in ICU. So what that tells us scientifically from an immune perspective there was something that didn't fight off that virus. What it is, was it about you, even though you had an amazing diet, you ran every day, why did you succumb to COVID-19? So, and, you know, and there's lots of things creeping in around vaccinations as well. You know, like people try to jump on, is it because you were vaccinated and that's why you can't handle the virus? There's all those theories and scepticism. And I can categorically say, you know, we, we've got everyone. Like we've got like most of the severe long haulers were from the first wave. There were no vaccinations then, mm -hmm. had nothing to do with vaccination. And if you were lucky enough, the vaccination kicked you into your recovery. Um, and that did happen for some. Um, and others, when they got vaccinated, didn't do anything. So that's, these are all the mis mysteries about the different types of being a long hauler, if you like. Mm. So... Yeah, so it's 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 very intriguing, and so there is anyone interested in um, you know looking at a uh, or hearing about sort of the history of of long COVID. Jez Maydinger has this fantastic YouTube following. Um, he was a marathon runner, and he, you know, he was taken out by long COVID, right? So he spent his entire recovery and he sort of uh, fluctuates he's doing quite well now but one of his more recent ones is um how to not get long COVID and um I haven't I haven't watched it myself yet but essentially I believe there'll be tidbits in there especially from an athlete point of view like you know look for the signs and symptoms like don't push yourself and uh, all those sorts of things so it, he he's great like you know he he's a um documentary maker you know like he's a um, he's used to doing with it, um, you know, producing, if you like. So, um, so he did that very early on in the pandemic and got a huge following. So he sort of tracks through lots of things. But 
the most recent one or sort of fairly recently was sort of discussing how not to become a long hauler because that's what we all want to know, right? How do we not get there? Mm. And of course, a, a great place to be is is in one's um, healthy state, you know, whatever, what do, you know, as I said, it's an individual thing, but that doesn't mean you're protected against the virus. One of you might be, the other 10 might not be, you know, like it's, it's that the immune system is so crazy in that regard. Incredibly just, complex. Mm. Yeah. Just the fact that your body fit and you are eating to suit your lifestyle does not equal and fighting I'm not going to get sick from COVID-19 yeah completely agree with you and healthy how that's defined to each individual is so different and people's definition of healthy isn't maybe what other people would think is healthy either so and yeah that doesn't reflect the immune response no that's fantastic so just um because I didn't quite catch it is it Jess Mandiga Jess G-E-Z yep Mayding it like M E I D I N G R. Cool. Yeah, 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 I'm he, sure. he's, yeah, he's got a great uh, YouTube channel, and there's tons of the videos. But it, it's relatively recently because it would have been sort of post Delta, you know, when things started to look like we were coming right. And um, yeah, so you know, it, because he's covered, he covered, you know, all sorts of how do we get better, mm. and he and and even if you look right back to his beginning videos, you can see. You can see how sick he is and you can see his reviving happening because he sort of explores, you know, they explore anything, every type of how can I get better from this? And But I think that I heard lots of great things about the how not to get long COVID mm. and being a, a marathon runner and the fact he can no longer do that, I think he's likely to have some good tips in there. For sure. Thanks for sharing that. And I think a key takeaway from there too is classic athletes always just rearing to get back into things after an injury or sickness is actually you're better to take two or three months and properly recover, even if it seems ridiculous, than having a several years of a horrible long COVID viral condition. That, that was the feedback I got from a, another long hauler. That was exactly it. He said, this sounds harsh, but takes three months off. Mm. And I Think, I think what they describe as, as the hints of needing that um, shortness of breath or just feeling a little bit too wiped out. You know, like as in don't go for a, you know, you've had COVID and your, your symptoms are gone. Maybe don't go for a run to test out whether you've got um, long COVID or anything like that. Because, and this is the thing, this is the thing that, you know, that we do worry about and the lack of awareness that it doesn't get talked about much here in New Zealand, that it's not going to be, uh, the day out, you know, you might get your week of having your symptoms. It's not going to be that you suddenly kick into what's determined called long COVID. Some people don't trigger their long COVID until one month or two months later. Well, I say trigger, it's like, it's an, it does not trigger. No one understands what that switch is. Mm. Um, but these athletes are sort of feeling like, you know, if you, to, to watch out for that. And I think, you know, because you might not be feeling terribly, um, you know, there might not be anything to manifesting too terribly, but it was that they, they do speak about that sort of two to three months point or one to two months where they sort of try to exert and go, oh, something's not right. Yeah. And so from a biological perspective or disease perspective, what we know is that, you know, we know that when the virus 
causes chaos when you're you know fully infected especially let's speak delta here it's it's clotting your blood so you know it's causing this massive upset and it clots your blood you know that that is why it's so severe and you know that is why people can't breathe um, and all the rest of it yes it's damaging your lungs but it also is causing clotting issues and so one of the hypotheses that we're working on is is does that cascade of your clotting pathway not resolve and therefore you've got rid of the virus your body fought it off um but what's happening next you know why is you know why does this drag on or why is there a sudden change you know you got rid of your cold and flu type symptoms the standard stuff and then what what why why does it take a month for the rest to kick in and it's very mysterious but one of the hypotheses is that yeah, that the upset in your coagulation pathway is is messed up. And so you can imagine if you're an athlete and you go and pump blood around your body, your body's not gonna like that. You know, you want you you're basically saying, Whoa, you know, I want to be oxygenated and your blood's going, Whoa, I can't even move. So that's mm. that that's what we are cautious about. And we know this about Delta and the predecessors. What we don't know is how bad or how similar Omicron may be in that regard. And so that's that's what we think is one of the pathological causes is essentially like we sort of describe it as sticky blood, like, and you you, you can't be athletic with sticky blood, right? So, mm-hmm. you know, and, and, the, and it's all about needing to uh, rest and, and hopefully with time we'll get treatments. But people would rather suggest that you don't push yourself tip into a serious, serious state. And when I say serious, it's incredible. Like couch bound, cannot get off the couch because they can't stand up because they will faint. It's really, really serious. So so the sort of the other key feature, if you like, as well as the, um, uh, the post-exertional malaise, so the fatigue and exhaustion after exerting, is dysautonomia, and so that's your nervous system. So we think that this virus is having an effect on our nervous system, and so that can be create sort of confusing symptoms. So that creates tachycardia, so your heart's pounding. So you naturally think you've got something wrong with your heart, um, and that sort of all feeds in, like as in um, when you stand up, you know, you faint in because, you know, everything's out of sync. So essentially, you know, another part of long COVID is uh, the other key feature, if you like, is an absolute disruption of your nervous system. So Mm -hmm. that's why people can feel, you know, shortness of breath might not be to do with lung damage. It could be to do because your nervous system, the thing, our autopilot. Autopilot is that you know how to breathe without thinking and your heart, your heart's supposed to know, you know, how to regulate if you stand up and your blood goes to your feet. So those things, are suddenly disrupted. Mm. And when they're disrupted, that they can be very um, disabling. Like the extreme, the, these the, these patients I've worked with who are extreme, they literally can't get up. And they just have to rest to try and recover through that. So dysautonomia is, is sort of key. And it's also a, a key thing to watch out for that tachycardia because um, I think it, it so like, you know, you might sort of notice that early on in your recovery phase, if you like, that you've got a racing heart. And 
to absolutely, you know, seek um, assistance to see if there's anything um, wrong with your heart. But generally speaking, it's your nervous system. So it's dysregulated. That's so fascinating. Wow. Yeah, it's it's bizarre. And it and it's actually not that, un- like viruses can cause this. Mm. And it's more common in women, generally. And so, and that's another thing. There is There often is skewing in women for even post-viral conditions. So we don't know if that's to do with our hormones or, or what, but uh, so POTS, which is the, the, the acronym for essentially having your tachycardia and the, the dysautonomia, um, is, is a lot more common in women. So, you know, like men, you know, have probably struggled in the past to get diagnoses because it's like, oh, no, that doesn't happen to men. But most of the sickest long haulers I know are, are men. So, you know, it, it, it happens to, to everyone. And so those are the... Those are the sort of key features, and that, that's not even delving into the crazy factors of the immune system. You know, the immune system's at play here too. We just haven't been, we're just sort of struggling to stick it all together. You know, what thing went wrong and mm. needs to be corrected. And so the other hypotheses around long COVID is maybe there's leftover virus somewhere, like viral debris that needs to be cleaned out or... Um, uh, or like, so all the all the other sort of hypothesis is a, a triggering of an autoimmune type response, and we just don't know. And so, and so what I would say, you know, to, to people who are really into, you know, health, you know, knowing all of those. I mean, don't get me wrong. There's nothing wrong with, um, you know, saying and doing all the healthy things and diet and saying I know my immune system needs all of these things because absolutely. Without the building blocks from your immune system, like your basic vitamins that, you know, people may think will protect them against the virus, it's not about stopping infection because they're not that, there's no magic bullet there. But absolutely, you can have a great immune response by making sure all your building blocks are there. So all of the key vitamins that, you know, your vitamin C's, D's, because some people do take those for granted, you know, like, they're like, nah, you know, you know, is that really going to make a difference? Probably, you know, <laughs> yeah. the immune system is so complex. So if you've got this whole concert going on, you know, you go over there, you go over there, you fight this. If one if one of your, those, you know, interactions needs vitamin D and there isn't any, yeah, can't be bothered getting over there. Don't have any, you know, like it has to work in concert. So, you know, great diet is absolutely going to put you in a good place. And I would say the same thing about recovery as well. And full body, you know, I'm a big fan of gut, brain, and and all of these things start in the gut. So, you know, if you are unlucky and get COVID, all of those gut replenishing things, you know, to to, to keep your gut healthy, all of those things Mm. um, are going to help. It's just from the, at the beginning, we can't look at you and say, yes, you're a picture of health and you'll be fine because it just does not work that way. And a classic example of those building blocks to our immune systems, you know, like vitamin C, people will take tons of vitamin C thinking this is going to stop me getting sick, I'm protected. In reality, we know vitamin C won't stop you getting sick, but it can definitely reduce the length and severity of, you know, the common cold or other sicknesses like that as well. Same with vitamin D and those other crucial ones. To come back to just a few things you mentioned, so with the shedding of the virus, do you know any, any facts around how long someone might shed the virus for, you know, not being infectious, 
but that it could be detected in their system after they've been infected? Well, we, the only tools we have at the moment are, you know, like other, you know, the the nasal swab, and we know already from all the history of, oh, that person wasn't infectious; it was historical, right? So we already knew for quite some time that you can still detect RNA or viral debris up your nostrils, um, and so though we we don't have essentially we don't know how long that can go on for. And the other big hint as well, where every now and then there's been an alarm, like, oh my goodness, we've just detected, uh, we've detected the virus in wastewater. And everyone goes, oh, I, in my head, what that says is someone's just come out of MIQ and they're still shedding viral debris. So there, there have been very few studies on actually how long it, it, it hangs around for, but we, the strong feeling, if there is, uh, if there's virus that's not getting being gotten rid of, and that's why you're long hauling, and there's viral persistence, a strong hypothesis is the gut, and and we sort of knew that early on, especially with children, like the virus seemed to be sort of hitting their guts a lot more um, compared to compared to adults. But no, you know, it's not really a fun research study to do, right? So, or <laughs> it's fun to be a participant. Mm-hmm. Do you mind if we take a bowel biopsy? Like, you know, so so much, but a lot of the long haulers are like, well, bring it on, I, I'm your subject. So it, it's more that it's a, a difficult and invasive thing to actually get to the bottom of, but, but obviously still something will help there too. But no one, very few, you know, the sort of easier approaches of, of trying to find virus have been done. Um, but we also are very mindful of what happens um, when some studies come out. Autopsy studies are informative they shouldn't be alarmist you know the person passed away so if there was virus found in the brain and that person you know you don't automatically say the virus goes to the brain we are hearing more reports of that but we don't but it's one of those things that yes it possibly can happen that the virus can enter your brain but you know it it could be in rare scenarios the person might be on a particular medication or that you know it's all those sorts of things that make it very difficult to actually research where on the body the virus may be hanging out. But the a top hypothesis is generally the gut. Um, and so, you know, anything you can do to, you know, to make sure your gut's in good shape and um, and all those all those things, you know, good, a good diet and getting, well, I mean, we, we just don't know. We don't know, um, you know, how long it hangs out. But it's still quite a, a decent hypothesis because, you know, the whole leaky gut thing, if your gut barrier gets broken down and, you know, everything sort of um, cascades from there. Mm. So, um, so yeah, so it's definitely a, a hot spot is, is the gut. So, And yeah. gut health is so topical and there's so much we still don't know about it, but we do know that around 80% of our immune system starts in our gut. So a lot of that, you know, makes sense when you start to talk about that. Mm. Absolutely. And, and I was one of those people, you know, so I'm an immunologist, right, and look at the immune system, but I was personally, from my own personal health perspective, was looking at gut health, like, before it was even being scientifically proven, you know, it was it was just one of those things because I was allergy-ridden, and I was like, am I just going to put up with this constant allergy all the time, or am I going to try and sort this out? And so, yeah, so that was, you know, that was sort of 15 to 20 years ago of sort of starting to see um, in fact, you know, uh, probiotics and things were out before the science, you know, like I was sitting in immunology conferences, you know, probably 10 to 15 years later going, 
Because <laughs> that's what we then need, right? We then need, yes, uh, you know, your gut microbiome is so crucial to your immune system and here's why. So, you know, that's what we love about the science is that, you know, we do the science to prove all those bits and pieces. Mm-hmm. And it's brilliant and, um, you know, dietary things, you know, people can be sort of, nah, whatever, you know, like, so go, the lengths that, that, you know, that we can go to in science to actually prove those connections is mm-hmm. huge. And I've always been a massive advocate for gut health across the board, gut brain. Mm-hmm. So your moods, mental health, you know, like I would go, Personally, I would say that's way more important than the than the mental um, uh, the, the your mental health from fitness. For me, gut first. You, you, you can't generally exercise off a a a um, a, a, a disruption. Mm. So that's my personal point of view and personal history is start with the gut, and of course, exercise is going to be massive as well. But it's kind of like you almost. You know, you can exercise, but it's, you come back to this dis, dis, disruption of life. So, absolutely, gut first for your um, your mental health mm-hmm. and your skin. If you've got things happening on your skin, it's probably things happening on the inside. You know, your skin when things disrupt on your skin, it's basically saying, ah, mm-hmm. can't, you know, something's going down. You know, depending on what it is, of course. But yeah, absolutely, the immune system. Is so there's so much going on in the gut. Mm. Yeah, totally agree with you there. And you can't, yeah, you need to fix the root cause before doing anything else. I mean, you can go for a run and it's like a happy happy pill, <laughs> but yeah. you're going to come back and you're still going to have that overlying issue if your gut's out of whack. So yeah, yeah, I, I yeah like absolutely. That. Yeah, mm. exactly. It's like that that drug that whoa, that was a great run. But yeah, you have to you have to always come back to, you know, the whole temple, right? Mm. Everything's going to be working together yeah and just to touch on autoimmune conditions and the immune system so do you know anything around COVID infection or long COVID and if people are at higher risk of then developing an autoimmune condition that's what it's there is hints of that and it's and it's not like people who have autoimmune conditions it's not it doesn't necessarily therefore predispose you to more like it's not that kind of scenario because there's lots of predispositions for particular autoimmune conditions Mm. and COVID in general is seeming to trigger something that could be autoimmune that's Mm. what it's looking like in fact sort of one of the most recent studies was hinting um which is not autoimmune as you know but essentially there was a higher risk um with asthma Mm. leading on COVID but when they're small studies, it can be tricky to, 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 to draw, the, uh, draw the line. But because autoimmunity is essentially, you know, it's not just a random, you have an autoimmune condition, it's fighting something particular in your body. So we, what we'll have to figure out with the research is why does an autoimmune reaction happen and what is the guilty party and what's it targeting? You know, so there are hints that it's targeting the nervous system, like, why, why do we suddenly get dis, a disrupted immune, uh, nervous system? And, and yeah, so essentially we don't know what the attack is on, but there are strong hints of that. Mm. Um, so that, that's where we're sort of saying, I, I guess that's where this advice is coming from, like to not push your body too soon because 
nobody really understands this link between, I mean, these are all crazy interconnecting things, right? They're not just, it's not just an auto, it's not just the immune system. It's also your clotting system. It's your blood vessels. Everything has been disrupted, which makes it this big, giant, chaotic uh, disruption. So it's hard to unpack what's happened in each person. So some people might get damage to their blood vessels, and if they rest it off and, and recover, then then they'll recover. Whereas some someone might get an autoimmune trigger and rest it off and recover from that you know like because there could be sort of subtle triggers that come right mm. or they could all cascade and not come right like it, there's mm. just so many unknowns but but the short answer is yes we we feel like autoimmunity is one of is a trigger so you and you know if i was to completely like surmise like nothing based on fact here again it comes back to the immune system and having your building blocks you know what if your immune system was just not firing properly because it, it was missing a key a key building block. Mm. You know, we, autoimmunity across the board is generally gets triggered while your body's under attack. Mm. So it's kind of like, whoa, which thing am I fighting here? It's kind of like a confusion, yeah. right? So like one of the big papers that just came out was linking kind of, it's the link's been there, but it was kind of a solid giant link of EBV or glandular fever that we all get, you know, in our teens, linking it to MS. So it's not saying everyone who gets glandular fever gets MS, but it's saying people who got MS, it was triggered by EBV, the virus. So, and that's the sort of thing, like, and I mean, it's a big complex story about, you know, what really autoimmunity, you know, the different types of triggers and things. But generally it's from an insult. So it's not just viruses. It could be a bacterial infection. Sometimes from a chemical, um, you know, basically something toxic happens in your body and then your immune system is doing its job and it might accidentally start thinking that, you know, a cell in your body is the thing they're killing and it starts to generate the wrong response. So it's so complex. Like autoimmunity is up there with so difficult to unpack. Mm. You feel that there's autoimmune involvement. So the, the big the big problem as well with with long COVID is you can't go to your doctor and get a test and they say "Mm, you're pretty sick you can walk in there or not walk in some of them are in wheelchairs because they can't walk much every test comes back normal Mm. wow so there's there's no pathway for clinical care because everything comes back normal so this so you can get an autoimmunity test but the tests are there to test for the autoimmune diseases we know about right Mm. so we don't know, we can't test for something until we've defined what the autoimmune attack is. Mm. So interesting. Mm. <laughs> Have you done much research in other autoimmune conditions like type 1 diabetes and celiac disease and the links there? Not personally, not research. I mean, I, I know a lot from, from my sort of own backfill history of, of, of looking at those things. But, I mean, again... I saw a report just recently on COVID that um, in children, they're saying more diabetes, you know, a link between having had COVID and uh, the onset to diabetes. And so, yeah, again, like, and I think that that's, you know, going to be one of those things that gets uncovered here. If we all get a virus, it might be the trigger that kicks us into the 
you know, they sort of call it almost subclinical, right? You know, you, you've got that predisposition and you just need the insult, the kick to the body, and then it triggers it off. Mm. So that, so type, type 1 diabetes is, is come, seeming to come through as a, as a post-viral uh, um, after effect of having had COVID. Mm. So, you know, I mean, we know that that's linked to your genetics as well, but it still probably manifests in a similar vein, you know, like, that, that interaction, you know, the day that your body decides to fight back against gluten is, you know, it could be because there was something else going on. Mm. So yeah. interesting. I think the repercussions of COVID in terms of the long COVID and what else it can do to our bodies is going to, yeah, be quite interesting over the next few years. It mm. totally is. And, you know, the, the take-home message is that, you know, we, we are all likely to get exposed to what we, you know, Omicron now. The best protection is being vaccinated. It absolutely is. You know, we know that a large percentage of people will still get infected and still have symptoms. But there's a stark difference between those that are vaccinated and those that are not. Mm. You know, we the best protection is to not get the virus. And so, you know, my biggest message is, is you know, you see the complacency um, you know, coming through. We have to remember that New Zealand had almost a year of normalcy. We're not the rest of the world where they've been going through this for two years solid. Um, you know, we had that normalcy. We need to sort of take stock that, you know, keep 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 up those precautions, you know, try and not get this virus. Mm-hmm. And definitely don't think because you're fit and healthy and an athlete that you're immune to this because you could be lining up for the person who, who gets long COVID mm. and we certainly, you know, the sort of the most vocal, I think that really, I guess that's the other thing with athletes actually sort of flipping back to the beginning of the pandemic. It's a stark difference, right? Like as in, as in they came together cause they're like, Hey, I used to, I used to do all this stuff and now I can do nothing. So, you know, like the stark difference of what you used to be able to accomplish to then suddenly not being able to, drew those people together, right? Mm. Because this is a sedentary person who might not notice that they're incapable of, um, you know, pursuing, you know, being athletic. So that that was one aspect was the stark difference. And then, and then the sort of key part, especially in the UK, was how many doctors got infected and had long COVID. And they realised how terrible the medical system is for understanding post-viral conditions because they got treated so poorly mm. and they were told they were deconditioned. They were told that it's psychological and completely damaging. So the movement of doctors with long COVID has actually almost pushed uh, the awareness because they're saying, hey, I'm a doctor and our doctors suck at this start listening to us you know start listening because we're really sick and this is real so and that's where and especially um in the uk they also faced with with mecfs there's a a historical movement where um again it was it was considered that you're deconditioned and so there was a push to do graduated exercise and that actually severely damaged people and made them more that made them severe so that has now categorically been dismissed as the worst thing you could possibly do if you have MECFS and so so that's what we were sort of learning along the way that you know how do you sort of gradually test it and and, and I bet Jez and his video will will discuss this mm-hmm. because 
um, you know, he's he's been through it all and tried everything and done everything. And, you know, first up, don't get the virus. And second up, you know, hopefully, fingers crossed, Omicron is not going to be as damaging silently, but we really don't know enough about that yet. We know that it's going to keep a lot more people out of hospital, out of ICU and not dying. We do know that. But we don't know what silent damage it's doing. So try not get it. Mm. And do protect yourself as much as possible. Look after your body and, and listen to your body and know that what we know from all the previous variants, you know, that there's it silently damages and it may kick in two or three months later. So don't, you know, don't try and push through that because you might just need to, to rest through that so that you can return quicker to everything versus being bedridden and saying goodbye to everything until you recover through that. And as we say, we don't know if that's permanent or not. Mm. Nobody knows. Mm. Awesome. Oh, it's just so interesting. You're just so full of knowledge. It's wonderful. <laughs> I'm sure a lot of people listening will just, yeah, love this discussion. Um, just a final question, bit of a different one. This came from um, Instagram as well. It was around pregnant women in ICU admissions. So I'm not actually sure of the statistics, but I was mm. asked about why are there higher rates of pregnant women in ICU? Is this due to, uh, I guess, hesitancy to be vaccinated whilst pregnant or are they at greater risk of serious infection due to being pregnant? Both of those things, but we, and this is probably more of a Delta thing. Oh, I say that. It's really difficult in, in some of the hard-hit countries because they got so much crossover. Like, so my collaborators in Germany were reporting some really severe outcomes with pregnancy, and it, it probably was mostly Delta, but we just don't know. But really, those, those statistics of pregnant women in ICU, they were unvaccinated. Uh, Absolutely, mm. they were not vaccinated. Vaccin so pregnancy is a high risk, yes, so, and that's what was really distressing seeing there was a lot of talk, talk around, um, you know, not getting vaccinated. And, and I was involved in a lot of, my sister has just had her baby, in fact, yesterday. And she, you know, she was, yeah, so <laughs> vaccinated, you know, before pregnancy and then vaccinated during and then boosted, you know, just, just recently. So completely safe and you know and she's going to protect her baby so when when she's breastfeeding she's going to give her baby protection too and so what we were seeing um, and hearing about and a lot of this I mean yeah you can see the reports but some of it's coming from direct from colleagues because it doesn't you know it's 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 terrible reading about it and hearing about it but but we were seeing a lot more death of both so death of mother and baby like it started to really sink in that that was happening and it was unvaccinated. So that was really tough hearing that, especially from that persuasion that, you know, that that the vaccine was not safe for pregnancy. It was just devastating because, yeah, it started to really ramp up. Mm -hmm. and, and obviously, and this was, so it was probably an overlap Omicron and um, Delta because we know that Delta really affects the lungs, right? And, and again, probably from a clotting perspective too, like it's not just sort of lung damage, it's where the virus is clotting, it's causing such vascular damage that everything's up, upset. And so what, what we know, you know, what we see and when you are in ICU, it's because you're you're lacking oxygen. So, right, 
And so the you get prone, so you have to lie on your stomach. You can't lie on your stomach as a pregnant woman, mm. right? So the pregnant, you can't, they can't treat you very well. And so, you know, your chances of surviving plummet. But it was, it, it was, it was, this, this, the statistics were stark. Like, and in fact, I think when I remember um, advising on this with my sister and, she, and her friends, and, you know, there was lots of hesitancy. I think it was actually the, 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 the onset of Delta. I think that's where that was. Mm-hmm. And it was like, oh my goodness, Delta just skyrocketed the risk. And I think that's when we were seeing it. So, um, absolutely. So, so even with Omicron, as I said, that mild terminology around it and, and reducing hospital load, yes, because huge vaccination percentage, mm-hmm. right? So you just, you don't want that virus in you running wild because you just don't know. And, you know, pregnancy is a state of, pregnancy is really funny to the immune system. It's like, well, you're growing a baby, so you have to dampen down because, you know, there's a foreign object in there, right? <laughs> so, so your immune system does something completely different. And, you know, and that's a huge risk of being infected because your immune system might go, whatever, like, you know, it might not react. And in fact, um, I, I was uh, chairing a session of a, of a scientist in Australia who did the early studies in pregnancy. And it was the first time I'd seen even pregnancy immunology because it's not often done because, you know, lining up pregnant women and bleeding them for, for science. Um, but this was incredible. Like it was sort of showing that the state of pregnancy sort of had this profile unlike a normal person and it didn't change when they got infected it was as if they didn't notice that they were infected Hmm. so if your system doesn't notice that the virus is in there you're in trouble yeah so so i think that that was sort of the clear messaging at that um you know you're at high risk and you know you're risking mum and baby Hmm. yeah Yeah, no, that's really interesting. And for for everyone, I guess the key takeaways for not catching COVID or Omicron is more topical at the moment, which is starting to move around a bit more. Yes. Um, like the key takeaways to finish, what would they be for what people can really do to try and protect themselves? Obviously, vaccination, booster if you can. Yes. Support your immune system with good food, good sleep keeping active, any other magic tips? Those are the key things, really. And, you know, and and I know people like to sort of say, oh, you can't boost your immune system. And, and yet in the context of you can't stop the virus, but you absolutely can replenish and, and keep your immune system. It is, you know, anyone who's into immune health knows all the things you can do, absolutely. I would also say the same, you know, anyone who would call me to discuss vaccination, treat the vaccination as an infection, Allow your body to rest through that. Don't just go, oh, there's my jab. Woo, off I go for a run. You've just had an immune response. So, so same, same message applies. You know, make sure you're in good health and, 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 you know, like, and, you know, we get a bit of a kick when that happens. You know, those aren't serious adverse events when we sort of like go, oh, my God, my arm hurts and my brain's a bit weird and I'm sluggish. That's your immune system getting to fight. So, so take that as a mild form of infection, you know, like respect your body while it's doing that is, a, is another message. So boosting, totally important. What we know, double boosted, because I'm not boosted yet. I'm not eligible yet. I think that's tomorrow, isn't it? I think. So right now, 
if I was exposed to Omicron, I'd probably get symptoms, almost guaranteed. Mm. I'm, I, you know, high chance I won't end up in hospital, but I'll get symptoms. I don't want symptoms. I want to not get symptoms. because symptoms is a sign that, you know, the virus is taking hold. Boosting, you're still at, uh, you, you get up to 50% chance you won't get symptoms. So, you know, you want to get up to at least a 50% chance of not having symptoms. You want to get there. Down at two doses, you're just going to get it run wild and in the, in the non-mild way. Like, do you really want to let it in without getting that, that boost? So that, that's how I see it. And, uh, you know, like I want that chance of not getting the symptoms and it being a minimal disease. What happens with that third hit, and I was, this also, um, it's third exposure to the spike protein. So you could have had COVID and then your two doses, but you, I'll take, I'll start that one again. You might've had COVID in 2020 and then you got vaccinated. It's all about how long ago your immune system saw the spike protein. So even though you had COVID ages ago and then two vaccines, you still need to be topped up. When you get that top up, your antibodies boost and float around the body. So when they're ready, they're the instant immune response. So when you when you get infected, the antibodies latch on to the virus and stop it going into your body and into the cells, infecting the cells. So if you if you're double dosed, let's say myself, you know, three months ago or three and a half months, nearly there. When right now those antibodies are falling away. Yeah, they still circulate, but they're dropping off. And again, not every human's the same. Some people will have a rubbish immune response. Some people might already have no antibodies. So what happens when I get infected is I'm still protected to a certain degree. But what happens is when when the virus, uh, uh, when my body sees the virus, it kicks into gear and starts to make new antibodies. So it's slower. So that's why we are more likely to get symptoms if we've only got two doses of the vaccine. Mm. But yeah, if you had, if you were someone who had Delta in this recent wave, that's also like a spike recently, and then two doses, your immune system's probably in a good spot as well. And in fact, if you had Delta, you wouldn't be due for a booster because probably because of timing. Mm. But essentially, it's all about the duration because there is. I know we don't have many New Zealanders who have had COVID. But they're out there and there's a false sense of security that that's natural immunity. That's another thing that comes through in the health. You know, like, I'm healthy, I survived it, bring mm-hmm. it on. It doesn't work like that. Mm-hmm. You know, like, yes, it's probably going to protect you against severe disease, but it's the low, it's the low bar. You want, you want your body to snap into gear and that real kick is to have circulating antibodies that don't give it a chance. So the less cells it can get into the more likely you're not going to get any silent damage happening mm-hmm. because you know, the virus can get into every organ, just about. You know, it, it can go everywhere. It's not just a respiratory. Mm-hmm. So not just a respiratory virus. And that's what brought about the term mild because it stopped attacking the lungs. It does silent damage everywhere else. Vaccinate, get your booster, get your booster, and mask up. Don't catch the virus. Don't think because you're vaccinated, you can handle it. Mask up. All, all, of, all of the above. Just don't get it. But then don't panic if you get it. Just do all the right things and, uh, you know, you'll probably, you know, get through the, the illness okay. And then just watch out for those, you know, 
prolonged symptoms and, and let your body recover. Mm-hmm. It's not, you know, we don't know where in the body that virus might linger. You just want to rest through it and recover. Yeah, no, that's great advice. Yeah. Awesome. I, yeah, I'm very grateful for your time tonight. It's been super insightful. So interesting. I feel like I've learned a lot. Um, And yeah, I hope a lot of people listening have enjoyed it as well. But is there anything else final you want to add or, oh, actually I was going to ask how can people contact you if they wanted to get in touch about anything specific? Yeah, I'm I'm fairly contactable. If you Google me, I I come up everywhere, especially with um, long COVID and everything. Um, yeah, feel free to, to send me an email. Yeah, you'll see my name crop up all over the, you know, I'm at Auckland University. If you've got any questions, I'm more than happy to, to answer questions right through the, um, you know, when the vaccine um, rolled out. I'm not someone who tells you to get vaccinated, like as in that's your decision. I, I My approach was to discuss the dangers of the virus and the benefits of vaccinating the decision is yours. And Mm. that's what I was really open to. I just wanted to make sure people were aware. And every person who rang me to chat had no idea, Mm. you know, because all you hear is death, you know, and and therefore if you're not going to die, then why would you get vaccinated? Mm. Mm. That that was the narrative. And so when people understood that perfectly healthy, any age, children, the whole spectrum, it's Russian roulette, which one of us is going to, to get long COVID. That, that was, that was my perspective. So, you know, it's all about just having a conversation, talking through risks and, and just understanding what those are. And categorically, we don't know the risk of Omicron. Mm. We can't extrapolate. If it was just Delta, I'd say the vaccination is a great protector. You know, it's going to reduce long COVID. And all I can say is we hope, Mm. you know, we hope that for Omicron, but protect ourselves as, as, as much as possible. And it's a community effort, right? I mean, and that's why it's important to, you know, vaccinate through the family so that it's protecting everyone around you as well. Awesome. Thank you so much, Anna. It's been so great to have you on. No problem.